Well, hello, friends, brothers and sisters, children of God. Welcome back to Jack the Bridge. As we move forward with chapter 20 of Nikos Katzenzakis, The Last Temptation of Christ, we this this chapter one note this chapter begins in the immediate moment just after the other one concludes so this transition is immediate and that's something that uh, I just want to point out before I begin it the other detail that you're going to notice right away is our King, our Jesus, is clearly transformed by his time in the desert. And there is a lot of dialogue between he and other disciples. Of course, Peter and Jacob seem to be always chatting with him, and young John, too. But... Something interesting is that the the way that he's transformed, people look at him and they see him pick up the likeness of, guess who? Well, John the Baptist, who he spent two or three days with uh, being counseled. And, you know, uh, um we all lose we all lose people we love we all lose friends and occasionally we we have this we we undergo this kind of transformation that whether we dream about this person or their mannerisms or something else about them really um was something that that connected to us that this cathexis was formed and uh in that respect, we, we keep the people alive who we lose the people that we loved. Um, in any case, let's take it to the bridge. Chapter 20. But while they were talking, a blue shadow suddenly fell over the threshold. They all recoiled. Jesus stood in the doorway, his bloody feet, his clothes covered with mud, his face unrecognizable. Who was it? The sweet teacher or the savage Baptist? His hair fell in twisted plates down to his shoulders. His skin was now baked and roughened, his cheeks sunken, and his eyes grown so large they invaded his entire face. His forcefully clenched fist, his hair Cheeks and eyes were identical to those of the Baptist. The open-mouthed disciples looked at him silently. Could the two men have joined and become one? He killed the Baptist, he, he thought Judas, as he stepped aside to let the disquieting newcomer pass. He observed how Jesus strode over the threshold how he stared at each of them severely, how he bit his lips. He's taken everything from him. Everything. He's plundered his body, Judas reflected. But his soul, his wild words, he'll talk now and we'll see. 
They were all quiet now for some time, and the atmosphere of the tavern changed. The innkeeper crouched silently in the corner and stared goggle-eyed at Jesus, who came forward slowly, biting his lips. The veins in his temples had swelled. Suddenly, they all heard his wild, hoarse voice. The companions shuddered, for this was not his own voice. It was the voice of the fearful prophet, the Baptist. You are leaving! No one answered. They had formed a bulwark, and behind the, one behind the other. You were leaving? He repeated angrily. Speak, Peter! Rabbi, Peter answered in an unsure voice, John heard your footsteps in his heart, and we, we were just going out to welcome you. Jesus frowned. He was overcome by bitterness and anger, but restrained himself. Let us go, he said, turning toward the door. He saw Judas, who was standing off to one side, looking at him with his hard blue eyes. Are you coming, Judas? He asked him. I'm with you to the death. You know that. Not enough. Do you hear? Not enough. Till beyond death, let us go. The innkeeper flew out from his cramped position between the wine barrels. Good luck, lads, he cried. And good riddance. Have a nice trip, Galileans, and when the happy time comes and you enter paradise, don't forget the wine I treated you to and the lamb's head. You have my word, Peter answered him, his face serious and afflicted. He felt ashamed of having lied to the teacher out of fear, and Jesus was angry. His frown was a sure sign he had detected a lie. He was silently scolding him. Peter, coward, liar, traitor, confound it. When will you become a man? When will you conquer fear? When will you cease turning windmill? Peter stood in the tavern's entranceway, waiting to see in which direction the master would go. But Jesus, motionless, had cocked his ear and was listening to a bitter, monotonous melody sung by lepers. They had strewn themselves in the dust and were holding out the stumps of their arms to the passers-by while softly singing the majesty of David and the mercy of God, who had given them leprosy to enable them to pay for their sins here on earth. So that tomorrow in the future life, their faces would shine like the sun's forever and ever. Jesus grew bitter. He turned toward the city. The stores, workshops, and taverns had opened, and streets had filled with people. How they ran and shouted. How the sweat poured from their bodies. He heard a fearful bellowing from horses, men, horns, and trumpets. The holy city seemed to him a frightful beast, sick, its entrails filled with leprosy, madness, and death. The bellowing in the streets continued to increase. The men to run here and there. What is their hurry? Jesus asked himself. Why are they running? 
Where are they going? He sighed all, all to hell. He was troubled. Was it his duty to stay here in this cannibalistic city to climb upon the roof of the temple and shout, Repent! The day of the Lord has come! These unfortunate panting people who ran up and down the streets had more need of repentance and comforting than the serene fishermen and plowmen of Galilee. I'll stay here, thought Jesus. Here I shall first announce the destruction of the world and the kingdom of heaven. Andrew could not restrain his sorrow. He approached Jesus. Rabbi, he said, they seized John the Baptist and killed him. It does not matter, Jesus calmly replied. The Baptist had sufficient time to do his duty. Let us hope, Andrew, that we shall have enough to do ours. He saw the eyes of the forerunners, formal disciple, fill with tears. Don't be sad, Andrew, he said to him, patting his shoulder. He did not die. The only ones who die are those who are too late to become immortal. He was not too late. God granted him time. As he said this, his mind was enlightened. Truly everything in this world depended on time. Time ripened all. And if you had time, you succeeded in working the human mud internally and turning it into spirit. Then you did not fear death. If you did not have time, you perished. Dear God, Jesus silently implored, give me time. That is all I ask of you. Give me time. He felt he still had much mud within him, much of man. He was still subject to anger, fear, jealousy, and when he thought of Magdalene, his eyes grew misty, and just last night, as he secretly gazed at Lazarus' sister, Mary, he blushed from shame and immediately made his decision. He would leave this city. The hour of his death had not yet come. He was still not ready. Dear God, he again implored, give me time, time and nothing else. He nodded to his companions. Come, my partisans, let us return to Galilee in God's name. The companions raced toward the lake of Genesaret like aching, hungry horses returning to the beloved stable. Judas the Redbeard was again in the lead. He was whistling. He had not felt his heart so contented for years. The teacher's face, voice, and fierceness since his return from the desert pleased him immensely. He killed the Baptist, he said over and over to himself. He took him with him. Lamb and lion joined and became one. Can the Messiah be lamb as well as lion like the ancient monsters? He marched along, whistling and waiting. The silence can't last, he reflected. One of these nights, before we reach the lake, he will open his mouth and speak. He'll tell us the secret. What he did in the desert, whether or not he saw the God of Israel, and what the two of them talked about, then I shall judge. The first night passed. Jesus, without speaking, looked at the stars. Around him, the tired companion slept, but Judah's blue eyes sparkled in the darkness. He and Jesus sat up all night, one opposite the other, but did not utter a word. 
At the dawn, they started out again, and they left the stones of Judea behind them and reached the white soil of Samaria. Jacob's well was deserted. Not a single woman came to draw water and refresh them. They passed rapidly over the heretical soil and then saw their beloved mountains, snow-capped Hermon, graceful Tabor, holy Carmel. The day grew dim. They lay down under a thickly foliaged cedar and watched the sunset. John pronounced the evening prayer. Open your doors to us, Lord. The day declines. The sun falls. The sky disappears. We come to your doors, Lord. Open them to us, eternal. We beseech you. Forgive us, eternal. We beseech you. Have mercy upon us, eternal. Save us. The air was dark blue. The sky lost the sun and not yet found the stars. Unadorned, it fell upon the earth and Jesus' supple, long-fingered hands pressed against the soil, shone white in the uncertain half-light within him. The evening prayer was still circulating and doing its work. He heard the trembling hands of men beat desperately on the doors of the Lord, but the doors did not open. The men were knocking and shouting. What were they shouting? He closed his eyes in order to hear distinctly. The birds of the day had returned to their nests the night birds had not yet opened their eyes. The village of mankind was far away, and you heard neither the tumult of men nor the barking of dogs. The companions mumbled the evening prayers, but they were sleepy, and the holy words sank within them without reverberation, and inside him, however, Jesus heard men beat on the doors of the Lord on his own heart. They were beating on his warm human heart and crying, open, open, save us. Jesus grasped his breast as though he too were knocking at his heart and begging it to open. And while he struggled, believing himself all alone, he felt someone watching him from behind. He turned Judas cold in flames, uh, inflamed eyes were pinned on him. Jesus shuddered. The red beard was proud, a proud, untamable beast of all the companions. He felt him the closest to him, and yet the furthest away. It seems that he need explain himself to none other, only to him. He held out his right hand. Judas, my brother, he said, look, what am I holding? Judas strained his neck in the half light in order to see nothing, he answered. I don't see anything. You will see it shortly, said Jesus, smiling. The kingdom of heaven, said Andrew. The seed, said John. Rabbi, do you remember what you told us by the lake the first time you parted your lips and spoke to us? The sower has come out to sow his seed, and, and you, 
Peter, Jesus asked, Master, what can I say to you? If I ask my eyes, nothing. If I ask my heart, everything. Between the two, my mind swings like a bell. Jacob, nothing. Forgive me, Rabbi, but you're not, you're not holding a single thing. Look, said Jesus, and he violently lifted his arm. And as he lifted it high and brought it forcefully down, the companions became frightened. Judas was so happy, he blushed a bright rose and his whole face gleamed. He grasped Jesus by the hand and he kissed it. Rabbi, he shouted, I saw, I saw, you're holding the Baptist axe. But straightway he felt ashamed and angry because he had not been able to restrain his joy. He withdrew again and leaned against the trunk of the cedar. Jesus' voice was heard, tranquil and grave. He brought it to me and placed it at the roots of the rotted tree. That is why he was born, to bring it to me. He could do no more, and I came stooped and picked up the axe. That is why I was born, now begins my own duty, to chop down the rotted tree. I believe I was a bridegroom, and that I held a flowering almond branch in my hand, but all the while I was a wood chopper. Do you remember how we danced and promenaded in Galilee, proclaiming the beauty of the world, the unity of heaven and earth, and how paradise would presently open up for us to enter? Friends, it was all a dream, and now we are awake is there no kingdom of heaven then? Peter cried out, terrified. There is, Peter, there is, but within us. The kingdom of heaven is within us. The devil's kingdom is without. The two kingdoms fight war, war. Our first duty is to chop down Satan with this axe. Which Satan? This world about us. Courage, friends. I invited you to war, not to a wedding. Forgive me, but I did not know myself. But whoever among you thinks a wife, children, feels happiness, let him leave. There is nothing to be ashamed of. Let him rise. Say goodbye to us quietly and leave with our blessing. There is still time. He was silent. He swept his eyes over his companions. No one moved. The evening star, like an immense drop of water, rolled behind the cedar's black boughs. The night birds shook their dark wings and awoke. A cool breeze flowed down from the mountains, and suddenly in the sweetness of the even tide, Peter jumped forward and shouted, Rabbi, I'm with you in this war, cheek by jowl, to the death. Those are boastful words, Peter, and I don't like them. We are passing along a difficult road. Men will oppose us, Peter, for who desires his own salvation? 
When did a prophet ever rise up to save the people and the people not stone him to death? We are marching along a difficult road. Hold on to your soul for dear life, Peter. It must not escape. The flesh is weak. Don't trust it. Do you hear? It's you I'm talking to, Peter. Peter's eyes suddenly brimmed with tears. Don't you have faith in me, Rabbi, he murmured. The man you look at in that way and do not trust, one day he will die for you. Jesus put his hand on Peter's knee and stroked it. It's possible, possible, he murmured. Forgive me, dearest Peter. He turned to the others. John the Baptist baptized with water, he said. And they killed him. And I shall baptize with fire. I am making that clear to you tonight so that you'll know it and won't complain to me when the dark times crush down upon us. Before we even set out, I'm informing you which way we're headed toward death. And after we die, immortality. This is the way. Are you ready? The companions grew numb. This voice was severe. It no longer frolicked and laughed. It was calling them to arms. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, then, would they have to go by way of death? Was there no other road? They were simple men, poor, illiterate day laborers, and the world was rich and all-powerful. How could they take up arms against it? If only the angels could descend from heaven and come to their aid. No one of the disciples had ever seen an angel walk on the earth and help the poor and despised. They remained silent, therefore, secretly measuring and remeasuring the danger. Judas watched them out of the corner of his eye and chuckled with pride. He alone did not calculate. He went to war despising death, caring nothing for his body and less for his soul. He had but one great passion, and it would be a supreme joy to destroy himself for that passion's sake. Peter finally opened his mouth. He was the first to speak. Rabbi, will angels... Come down from heaven to help us? We are God's angels on earth, Peter, Jesus replied. There are no other angels. But but do you think we can manage all by ourselves, Master? Asked Jacob. Jesus rose. The bridge of his nose was quivering. Go away, he shouted. Abandon me. Uh, I won't forsake you, Rabbi. I'm with you to the death. Me too, Rabbi, Andrew exclaimed, and he hugged the teacher's knees. Two large tears rolled from Peter's eyes, but he did not speak, and Jacob, who was a strapping young man, bowed his head in shame. And you, Judas, my brother, Jesus asked, seeing the mute Redbeard gazed savagely at all the rest. 
I don't bother with words, Judas blustered, and I don't blubber like Peter. As long as you hold the axe, I'm with you. You abandon it, I abandon you. I'm not following you, as you very well know. I'm following the axe. Aren't you ashamed to talk like that to the rabbi? said Peter, but Jesus was glad. Judas is right, he said. Friends, I follow the axe myself. They all stretched out on the ground, their backs against the cedar. In the sky, the stars multiplied. From this moment onward, Jesus said, we unfurl God's banner and set out for war. A star and a cross are embroidered on the flag of the Lord. God be with us. They were all silent. They had made their decisions. Their hearts had become valorous. I shall speak once more in parables. Jesus said to the companions who had finally been swallowed up by the darkness. One last parable before we depart for battle, know that the earth is fastened on top of seven columns, and the columns on water, and the water on clouds, and the clouds upon the winds, and the winds upon the tempest, and the tempest on a thunderbolt, and the thunderbolt rests at God's feet like an axe. I don't understand, said John, blushing. John, son of the thunderbolt, Jesus replied, caressing his beloved companion's hair. You will understand when you grow old and go to become an ascetic on an island and the heavens open above you and your mind catches fire. He was silent. It was the first time he had so clearly seen what God's thunderbolt was, a burning axe at the feet of the Lord, and hanging from the axe like a string of beads were the tempest, wind, cloud, and water, the entire earth. Though he had lived for years with men, for years with holy scriptures, no one had ever revealed to him this terrible secret. What secret? that the thunderbolt is the son of God, the Messiah. It was the Messiah who was going to cleanse the world. Fellow partisans, he said, and Peter perceived two flames like horns suddenly fly out from his forehead. I went to the desert, as you know, to meet God. I was hungry, thirsty, Broiling hot, I sat curled up on a rock and called God to appear. Wave after wave of devils pounded on me, broke, frothed, and then turned around and flowed back. First were the devils of the body, then the devils of the mind, and lastly, the all-powerful devils of the heart. But I held God before me as a shield of bronze and the sand around me filled with fragments of claws and teeth and horns. And then I heard a great voice above me. 
rise, take the axe brought you by the forerunner, strike. Will no one be saved? Peter cried. And Jesus did not hear. All at once my arm grew heavy as if someone had wedged an axe into my grasp and I started to get up. But as I did, so I heard the voice once more. Son of the carpenter, a new flood is lashing out. Not of water this time, but of fire. Build a new ark. Select the saintly and place them inside. The selection has begun, friends. The ark is ready. The door is open still. Enter. They all stirred, creeping forward. They swarmed around Jesus as if he were the ark and they were trying to go in. And I heard the voice again, son of David. As soon as the flames subside and the ark casts anchor in the new Jerusalem, mount your ancestral throne and govern mankind. The old earth will have vanished. The old sky will have disappeared. A new heaven will stretch itself over the heads of the saints, the stars, and the eyes of men will shine seven times brighter than ever before. Rabbi! Peter again cried, all of us who have fought the fight with you must not die before we see that day and sit to the right and left of your throne. But Jesus did not hear plunge in the fiery vision of the desert. He continued, and for the last time, I heard the voice over my head. Son of God, receive my blessing. Son of God, Son of God, each one shouted to himself, but no one dared open his mouth. All the stars had now appeared. They were hanging low tonight, halfway between sky and men. And now, Rabbi, Andrew asked, where do we begin our military life? God, Jesus answered, took earth from Nazareth and fashioned this body of mine. It is therefore my duty to begin the war in Nazareth. It is there that my flesh must commence its transformation into spirit. And afterward, we'll, we'll go to Capernaum, said Jacob, to save my parents. And, and then to Magdala, suggested Andrew, to get poor Magdalene and, and put her in the ark too. And then to the whole world, shouted John, pointing to the east and west. Peter heard them and laughed. I'm wondering about our bellies, he said. What'll we eat in the ark? I suggest that we take along only edible animals. Goodness gracious, what use have we for lions and gnats? He was hungry, and his mind and thoughts were on food. The others all laughed. All you can think about is dinner, Jacob scolded him. We're speaking here about the salvation of the world. 
the rest of you have the same thought I have, Peter objective, but you won't admit it. I say frankly, whatever comes into my head, whether good or bad, my mind goes round and round and I go round and round with it. That's why the gossips call me windmill. Am I right, Rabbi, or am I not? Jesus' face brightened with a smile. An old story came to his mind. Once upon a time, there was a rabbi who desired to find someone who could blow the horns so skillfully and loud that the faithful would hear and come to the synagogue. He announced, therefore, that all good horn blowers should present themselves for an audition. The rabbi himself would choose the best. Five came the most skilled in town. Each took the horn and blew, and while they all had finished, the rabbi questioned them one by one. What do you think of, my child, when you blow the horn? The first said, I think of God. The second, I think of Israel's deliverance. The third, I think of the starving poor. The fourth, I think of orphans and widows. One only, the shabbiest of the lot, stayed behind the others in a corner and did not speak. And you, my child, the rabbi asked him, what do you think of when you blow the horn? Father, he answered, blushing, I am poor and illiterate, and I have four daughters. I am unable to give them dowries, poor things, so that they can get married like everyone else. When I blow the horn, therefore, I say to myself, God, you see how I toil and slave for you. Send four husbands, please, for my daughters. Have my blessing, said the rabbi. I choose you. Jesus turned to Peter and laughed. Have my blessing, Peter, he said. I choose you. You have food on your mind, and you talk about food. When you have God on your mind, you'll talk about God. Bravo! That's why men call you windmill. I choose you. You are the windmill which will grind the wheat into bread so that men may eat. They had one piece of bread. Jesus divided it. Each man's share was only a mouthful, but the rabbi had blessed it, and they were filled. Afterward, they leaned against one another's shoulders and slept. All things sleep, relax, and grow during the night, even stones, water, and souls. When the companions awoke in the morning, their souls had branched out and invaded every inch of their bodies, filling them with assurance and joy. They started out before dawn. The air was cool. Clouds gathered. It was an autumn sky. Late journeying cranes flew by, carrying the swallows toward the south. The carefree disciples ate up the road. Heaven and earth had joined in their hearts, and even the humblest stone glistened, filled with God. Jesus marched all alone in front. His mind was sluggish. It hung on the mercy of God. He knew that he had finally burned his bridges behind him and could no longer turn back. His fate marched in front of him, and he was following it. Whatever God decided, that was what would take place. His fate 
Suddenly he again heard the mysterious footsteps which had been mercilessly following him for such a long time. He strained his ear and listened. They were rapid, heavy, decisive. But now they were not behind him. They were in front, guiding him. It's better, he reflected, better. Now I can no longer lose my way. Rejoicing, he lengthened his stride. It seemed to him that the feet were hurrying, so he hurried too. He advanced, whispering, onward, onward, to the invisible guide, stumbled forward over rocks, jumped ditches, ran. Suddenly he uttered a cry. He felt a horrible pain in his hands and feet, as though he had been pierced by nails. He collapsed on a rock, the sweat pouring over him in cold granules, and for a moment his head swam. The earth sank away from under his feet, and a fierce, dark ocean spread itself out before him. It was deserted, but for a tiny red skiff, which sailed bravely along, its sails puffed out, ready to burst. Jesus looked and looked, then smiled. It is my heart, he murmured. It is my heart. His head became steady again. The pain subsided, and when his disciples arrived, they found him tranquilly seated on the rock and smiling. Onward, lads, faster, he said, and he rose. And that concludes chapter 20. So wherever you are and whatever you find yourself doing today, always know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I do too. And he shall reign forever and ever. Have a great day and thanks for being here.
too hard to sleep The time is running away Feel like my soul has turned into steel I've still got the scars at the sun Not even room enough to be anywhere. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And my sense of humanity has gone down the drain. There's been some kind of pain She wrote me a letter And she wrote it so kind She put down and brought What was in her mind I just don't see why Even care. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And I've been to London, and I've been to Gay. Slide. 
I'm standing.